four is in the books. A whirlwind, as always. But most importantly, some random players had massive weeks. Some studs left duds in your lineup. So today, as you all know, we go game by game. Look at the matchups. Look at the details. Look at the stars. And look at why maybe the players you were most focused on did not have a good weekend. Hayden Winks always joins me. And John Daigle of Betsperts and 4 for 4 also joins me. Guys, it's the Instant Reaction Show. We are not responsible for anything we say here for the next hour and a half. How are you feeling, Hayden? I don't think that's how this works at all. <laughs> Dago, what about you? There were a lot of injuries today. Uh, I'm still sifting through a lot, but I think we're covered for this show. Let's hit it. Okay, let's do it. And we'll start with one of your first games, John Daigle. Mm -hmm. It is the Seahawks at the Lions. Hayden, we pointed this one out in the Friday matchup show. A 48-45 barn burner that the 2-2 two and two now Seattle Seahawks came on top. Daigle, Geno Smith, 320, two touchdowns. Rashad Penny, back last year in the same game he rushed for 170 yards, goes back 151 and two tutties on the ground. Over 1,000 yards of combined offense, 93 total points in this game, 12 combined touchdowns, and zero defense to speak of on either side of the ball for both these teams. Let's go ahead and start with the Seahawks because Geno Smith now in back-to-back games has been the QB7 and with primetime pending in week four, QB2 right now because Seattle is giving themselves more chances with this increased no huddle rate and pace for 69 and 63 plays in this stint. And you could argue when you go back and watch, there's meat on the bone here. Uh, even looking as early as the first quarter, Tyler Lockett a little double move on third down and Geno Smith overthrows him for what would have been a 50 plus yard touchdown. Also, when you watch the film here, Geno Smith certainly does have command of this offense. Uh, it is a two-man show, well, a three-man show. DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, and a committee of three tight ends they use every single week, both in the red zone and between the 20s. They are a pivotal part of this passing game. But but the way Geno Smith handles himself, honestly, and it was the Lions defense, of course, but backpedaling, understanding where players are, he really does have a good feel for what he's doing in this system, for better or worse. So at least we know in good matchups, we can stream him if necessary. Geno Smith is the last few games, Hayden, 320 yards, 325 yards. Like everyone, so many people had been waiting for like an opportunity for him here. And it really is, despite the same exact play callers last season with Russell Wilson, a very different offense and different results that we're getting this year. Yeah, going into this game, he was leading the NFL in completion percentage over expected. And then today it's plus 13% again. So, I mean, Geno Smith, like Daigle said, has command of the offense. And if the offense is going to be able to pass more just because they're building some more confidence with this, I think that DK Metcalf and Tyler Locker are going to be great picks from where they were going in drafts. We know they're never going to use that third uh, wide receiver. These tight ends are catching some passes here and there. But if this offense was projected for 25 pass attempts a game, and now it's going to be close to like 32 or something like that, all of a sudden we're cooking with DK Metcalf as like an uh, upside wide receiver three and Tyler Lockett slowly becoming an every week starter too. I have to ask you, Eagle, because Rashad Penny was a mid-round pick for a lot of people. Opened the season with 60, 15, and 66 rushing yards. Now gets 151. Was this matchup-based, opponent-based, or is something change a little bit with the Travis Homer injury that we can expect maybe Rashad Penny to get more work moving forward and like be in flex conversation each week? 
The Travis Homer injury has allowed Penny to run a route on over half of Geno Smith's dropbacks now in back-to-back games, but still handling over 60% of the team's running back carries, Penny is. And you're seeing even in the box score what he does when he gets those carries. He only had eight yards at the half, and his two explosive touchdown runs, a 36-yard run on third down in the third quarter, uh, zero blitz call. Lion sent the house. Penny breaks the line of scrimmage, and of course, there's no one left in the secondary to catch him. That's his first touchdown. And then also put the game away in the final quarter with a 41-yard dash here. But he is very clearly the back to have in this backfield, and there are not enough touches to go around to consider Ken Walker anything more than just a contingency option right now. So rank him among Rashad White's, Alexander Madison's, the rest of the backups that you can't possibly do anything with unless the starter ahead of them gets injured. Eight carries for 29 yards for him. Okay, the other story this week, Daigle, was Jamal Williams getting the full workload, uh, the running back seven or eight in points per game, and he doesn't disappoint. 19 carries, 108 yards, and two scores here to go along with just one reception. He must have looked good here, despite 93 total points being scored by both sides. Um, maybe even a different way than uh, DeAndre Swift has done it in the past, but I got to say, even that 51-yard long run that he had is, is very un-Jamal Williams-like, let's put it that way. And he was sitting roughly around four and a half yards per carry, just chipping away just gaining the tough yards the entire time. So if he was going to reach 20 carries in this game, there was a chance he was going to get over 100 eventually anyhow. But yes, the big 51-yard touchdown that involved at least two broken tackles certainly helped here. And he only out-snapped Craig Reynolds 36 to 25 but it doesn't matter when he's on the field and he's on the field for a reason that's why you see that he handled 20 of 27 backfield touches and Reynolds even though he ran more routes than Jamal Williams this game it was actually a timeshare for his touches with Justin Jackson which we did not expect the 1b running back essentially for the Lions to be a timeshare so yes Jamal Williams got there for you today he will continue getting there for you through week seven since we assumed DeAndre Swift will be out through the Lions week six bye I mean yeah big story of the year right now is the Lions they've put up 35 points 36 24 and then 45 points offense with Jared Goff who's not going to be an above average quarterback but this is a functional scheme that could run the ball they can use play action when they're actually fully healthy They've got some dudes, especially if T.J. Hawkinson's going to keep uh, this up. Obviously, he was a huge benefit because of game script, the defense, Amon Rob, the whole thing. But uh, he looked good, made some big plays downfield. Last question, Daigle. Because this passing offense was missing a ton of pieces too, right? Amon Ra, DJ Chark. Two questions. And we'll review the game as we go along this week, especially in stats versus film. But from your seat, how was the utilization different for so many of these pieces? Did someone take the quote-unquote Amon Ross St. Brown role? And maybe most importantly, are we seeing TJ Hawkinson turn the corner? Solid last week, and then today, 12 targets, 8 receptions, 179 yards, and 2 scores. Again, I'm the one who usually <laughs> who usually comes on this show and pours cold water on everything as right. a reasonable person. Um, I don't think we were seeing TJ Hawkinson turn a corner. This came remember one week in week three after he hit a season low in target share and routes run only a route on 68% of dropbacks in week three uh, with no bodies, with no one else to get out there and catch the ball. Of course, he showed up for a route on 84% of dropbacks and recorded a team high 30% target share. Some big plays here. And it took a little luck to put him in a position. Tyler Lockett fumbled the first and only punt 
of the game, which then put the Lions just outside the red zone, which then allowed Hawkinson to score a touchdown on the very next play. Also had a nifty move against a defense that, again, does not know how to wrap up whatsoever. So as he's going towards the sideline, he breaks it upfield to gain essentially another 40 extra yards here. Amon Ross St. Brown, this is my read on the situation, cannibalizes the targets since he has the same A dot as Hawkinson. And I will continue to think that even though Hawkinson, it was a impressive, impressive performance. When you go back and watch this game, you'll see some extended arm catches, right? Actually showing his athleticism, which we see so rarely. But if you tell me long term, like, is he still a top five tight end? Absolutely not. Even at a position we're really searching for it. Yeah. Just less than like 30 yards in each of the contests combined. Thus, the Lions have uh, the New England Patriots defense up next after this. Okay. Hayden, over to you. Maybe better teams on display. Maybe not better offenses, though. Bills at the Ravens. I'm just kidding about that note. Uh, 23 to 20. The Buffalo Bills come out on top. But Hayden, I, I checked at halftime. 20 to 10, the Ravens were leading. Some big plays made defensively at the end of this contest. Some decisions to not kick field goals and instead go for seven points. But the Bills claw their way back and win here to go three and one. So let's just get the fourth down decision out of the way early. It was a tie game. Uh, the Ravens are on their three-yard line with four minutes left, 2020, and they decide to go for it. Lamar ends up throwing an interception there in shock, and I believe it was empty, kind of rolls out and throws an interception. It wasn't really his fault. There was nothing available. Obviously, the play there was the Bills. We think that we can either stop them on the two-yard line if we don't get this, or even if we kick a field goal, we're going up against the Bills, and the Bills are probably just going to score a touchdown on us and win this game anyway. So I don't really mind the call either way. It's, if you look at any of the models, it's basically a toss-up. It doesn't really matter either way. The Ravens couldn't move the ball in the second half, and they've made an announcement that they're going to have a press conference next week. I wonder if that could possibly be Greg Roman. Uh, the reason why I say that today, Lamar Jackson, his ADOT was 4.5 yards. They could not throw anything downfield, couldn't move the ball. Their running game is still isn't that great uh jk dobbins had a couple of ex explosive runs but their pass game just didn't have enough consistency overall ended up having a negative epa per play against the bills who are clearly still very good at defense missing some key players but still very good in general from what i saw the weather was a factor too for the a little bit wide yeah. receivers in particular like lots of slip balls through like even hands together yeah gabe davis had a couple on the other side yeah there was some I would say it it, it it impacted it a little bit, um, but this kind of goes back to some of like the great Roman passing stuff that we've been talking about for multiple years now. So we'll see. Uh, the press conference thing, I'm trying to search it right now on on Twitter, and it kind of seems like this is a normal thing that happens on Mondays, but they might also have two, like one at 2.30 and one at 3.30. Um, so I don't want to speculate like too much of what that could be. Especially because, like, it feels like this offense has been really good this season. And as Lamar, through the first three weeks, has been one of, like, the true vertical passers in the NFL, attempting 20-plus yard passes at, like, a top five, top six rate, as you said, nothing could get going here. But isn't that, on some level, that plus weather where you have this Bills defense, who got a couple pieces back, and Jordan Poirier made some big plays in this contest. Like, when they're going to play two high shells and play the same defense over and over and over again, where Lamar has, you know, eviscerated blitzes all season long. I know that Tremaine Edmonds sent one uh, in this game, and he had another great play from it. But on some of this, is a, a, not an expectation, but a reality that could happen to this Ravens offense. Yeah, no, this was like as expected. The Bills didn't do anything that we weren't expecting matchup-wise. So it was 
kind of disappointing to see Rashad Bateman three catches, 17 yards on six targets. We talked about in the show before that he was used as more of a deep threat, and we didn't really see anything happening underneath except for those like quick slants against one-on-one coverage. Nothing really schemed up for somebody that we thought that could have maybe a little bit better of a game here. So I think it was a very disappointing loss for the Ravens. I think Lamar Jackson still looks good overall, but this was weather, good defense, maybe some bad schematic things. I can't wait to watch this on tape. And even the fourth down call, Devin Duvernay was open for multiple seconds in the bat right corner of the end zone, and Lamar just couldn't get it there. Like either his vision was covered or it wasn't the first route on the play, so on and so forth. So uh, that's something that I'm sure they'll go back on. Something that stood out to me, J.K. Dobbins, 13 carries, 41 yards, a touchdown on the ground. J.K. Dobbins, four catches, 22 yards, a touchdown in the air. I know those both were very close to the goal line, and so it's kind of whatever play is called, we can hope that they go to J.K. Dobbins if we start them in their lineup, but it's still nothing like chunk gains, huge plays, like, hey, this is a focal point of their offense. Yeah, so there, there's a couple, like, maybe 10, 15 uh, yard plays uh, mixed in there, but the, the, his touchdowns, there was one, it was a goal line flip, like classic Andy Reid stuff, and then there was a goal line zone Reid touchdown. Uh, he, he was left open for a big catch in the middle of the game as well. Uh, I thought that he looked totally fine. Uh, Justice Hill at, at the end of the game, uh, left with some type of injury, so we'll have to keep an eye on that. Kenyon Drake with a healthy scratch uh, behind him. So uh, I think that this was a probably a statement game for J.K. Dobbins just to get some confidence going, and his role is probably going to be fine. Uh, just as a reminder, in general, the Ravens don't use their running backs all too often compared to the rest of the league. They don't throw to them. They don't use them at the goal line compared to most offenses. But if he's at, he can at least be like CEH, you know, where it's just like a good offense, Maybe not the greatest player ever when he's coming back from his knee injury, but you're at least attached to one of the best offenses in the league. The Justice Hill injury as well is why I will be higher on Dobbins moving forward. We'll see if it's a long-term thing, but that opens the door since they would then activate Kenyon Drake, who, as you mentioned, Hayden, they've healthy scratched two weeks in a row now. That tells us how they view him. So it's all Dobbins from here if Hill's out. And at some point, Mark Andrews had to crash back down to earth. Two catches, 15 yards. I mean, this is like really crashing, but I think it goes back to the defense that the Bills played, how you can't pass vertically because we know Andrews has been living in that intermediate to deep territory too. And then the weather on top of it. Yeah, and he also had an end zone target that he was open that Lamar just missed him. And then there was an offensive pass interference called on him in the red zone uh, that he was tackled at the one yard line. So if either one of those things flip, it, he would have saved himself. There was also a play that like they threw it up to him and he knocked it down into Devin Duvernay's yeah. hands. That was a catch for Devin Duvernay. Yep. Devin Duvernay makes one ridiculous play every single week that is not repeatable. Yet we've had four straight weeks of irrepeatable performances from him. It's what happens when you're a four, three athlete, you know? <laughs> okay. Bill's in because there's a lot to talk about here. What we saw from Devin Singletary last week carried over a little bit here to five targets, four receptions, 47 yards. However, Josh Allen was the team's leading rusher with 11 carries for 70 yards and a score. Obviously, the leading passer at 213 yards and a score. Yet, the two top targets, Stefan Diggs, four for 62. And then after that, it's a bunch of question marks. Yeah, the Ravens secondary played really well. Marcus Peters was mad at the end of the at the end of the game, but before that was absolutely dominating. Uh, in general, Gabe Davis doesn't look fully healthy to me. He also had a, a, a really bad drop. Uh, big injury news. We had Jameson Crowder has an ankle injury. It seems like it could be a, a very serious injury. Then Isaiah McKenzie has or was in the concussion protocol uh, after that. So Khalil Sh Shakira got a couple more reps uh, than normal. The big thing at the running back position was 
there was a, a sequence where Devin Singletary drops a pass and then has a fumble shortly after it. And I thought that they were going to go to Zach Moss, maybe James Cook. They give Zach Moss like the next drive. He has three carries, six yards on the day, does nothing with them. And then it just goes immediately back to Devin Singletary when the game was closed. So there was every opportunity for somebody else in this backfield to take advantage of some costly mistakes, but they still don't trust those other backs. So Devin Singletary was out there. Devin Singletary, the numbers behind the scenes show 55 snaps to Zach Moss's six. That is ludicrous. And Isaiah McKenzie head injury. Is that what forced him out of this contest? And then we saw more Khalil Shakur coming in as the slot wide receiver because Jake Kumro was inactive for this contest. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that Isaiah McKenzie probably is going to, he's like a winner just because Jameson Crowder is going to be out. I don't think they really trust Khalil Shakur. He's had a kind of a brutal start to his career and day three pick. So uh, once Isaiah McKenzie gets out of the concussion protocol, all of a sudden now we have potentially somebody that's going to be running like 70% of the routes in this offense. I think that uh, he could be a, a pretty big win for those in PPR leagues. Dawson Knox three for 40. And I think he started making even more plays once Isaiah McKenzie left this game as well. Okay. I'll go next. Uh, let's talk about two new quarterbacks jets at Steelers. That means it's 24-20 victory for the New York Jets over the Pittsburgh Steelers. Let's get get this out of the way. The first halves were awful on both sides. Uh, Zach Wilson opened this contest 6 of 16 at halftime, including an interception near the end of the first half, which took away a field goal try for their own team to bring it to 13-3. And instead, the interception they threw to the Steelers allowed them to narrow a deficit after a stupid Carl Lawson roughing the passer penalty to 10 to six. And that's for Mitch Trubisky. He was awful. I mean, it's, it's exactly what we can expect from him. Seven of 13 for 84 yards and an interception against an eight man rush. There was one occasion where he turned his back to the defense against a three man pass rush, eight men dropping and tried to run out of the back of the pocket and got sacked ran right into a defense. lineman. awful. So what we get nice surprise halftime. Kenny Pickett comes in. Lovely. We've been hoping for this, even though Mike Tomlin said that this team just needed a spark in this contest. We'll get to that in a moment. But Kenny Pickett's first throw was interception. It was a deep shot to Chase Claypool, which bounced off his hands and into a Jets defensive back. Um, just overall, Kenny Pickett moved the offense much better. 10 of 13, 120, and three interceptions. I would say two of the interceptions were a bit of an outlier and can't really read into them. One, I just mentioned Chase Claypool. The other one was... Um, the Hail Mary at the end of the contest. But there was nothing that was outstanding, hang your hat on, of, oh, this guy's going to transcend the position like we have seen with other rookies once they enter contests. But the offense certainly did move incrementally better. Like you saw George Pickens have opportunities on the left side of the field, not just the left sideline to win and go up and get it in single coverage. You saw a third and six or a third and eight where a, Pass rush was bearing down him a free rusher down the middle, and he hits Pratt Fryermuth, which then the Steelers later, later put points on that drive. Um, so that was a real positive. But maybe the most important thing was after that rough start for Zach Wilson in the first half, he finishes this game like 11 of 15, and the Jets look very consistent over and over again. Finished with an 11-play drive and 11-play drive, back-to-back -to -back touchdown drives to, again, come back and win this game, something that was very un-Jets-like and I think a real nice building block for Zach Wilson to 
have the, for the rest of the season. Because again, I think it was a kind of a crossroads moment for him in this game, especially against Mika Fitzpatrick and some other defensive pieces. And he stepped up to, to the occasion in the final two quarters. I'm looking at the box scores. It looks like the Jets started with a run on 17 of their 27 drives. <laughs> I'm assuming that's exactly kind of what we should be expecting from this offense. Try to hide Zach Wilson so you don't have to win games late. Is it like a, a pro Brees Hall thing? Yeah, I, I was noticing this too. Uh, Michael Carter still got the start. Then there's even plenty of instances where it was both Michael Carter and Brees Hall in the backfield. And then Michael Carter kind of became the lead back for Brees Hall on these outside runs. And so he was the lead blocker in those situations. So both are playing still quite a bit. But yeah, I mean, this team even lost their right tackle. And then Connor McDermott had to shift over to right tackle. Elijah Barry Tucker played left tackle. So they're still down all of these offensive linemen. But yes, I, I think that they were hoping to get in positive situations on first down. But then Hayden, what that turned into was either a first and 20 because of a holding penalty, a second and 12, sometimes a second and seven, a, a third and six. So there's still some instances where they had to, you know, climb out of it. And again, in a second half, there was a lot of positives to Zach Wilson's game, especially some throws to Corey Davis um, on a second and nine. Uh, early throws to Elijah Moore. That's where all of Elijah Moore's targets went to. Um, but in order to, for me to like get fully on board for Zach Wilson, I think we need four quarters of this for sure. Was there a favorite for him? Did it seem like he was actually leaning in one receiver's direction? I mean, early outside on, of the box score. Yeah, no, er, early on, it was definitely Elijah Moore. Like there was this really nice comeback route along the right sideline. He hit on two chunk gains, um, another one over the middle of the field. And then after that first, Again, that first half, he never uh, had another completion for substantial yardage to to Elijah Moore. Corey Davis made two pivotal plays towards the end of the game, like overcross right next to Devin Bush, a linebacker for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Um, I mean, look, it's it's not perfect, you know. Like there were still some really really awful passes, like just slightly off target in terms of there was a third and six, and he tried to sidearm it to. Tyler Conklin, who completely jumped off the ground, extended, tipped it up in the air. Minka Fitzpatrick returned it for a touchdown. But arguably, from what we've already seen in what, the 15th start, the 14th start of his career, maybe the second best start, the second best game from start to finish we've seen from Zach Wilson. And what I was most intrigued by was him just sticking to the pocket in the second half instead of trying to completely evade. There are a couple of those. And when you go back and watch this Daigle this week, you'll notice some of them. But most of all, he was sticking to the structure of the offense. And Mike LaFleur still wanted to create some really fun plays because as you all saw, I'm sure Zach Wilson needed a touchdown catch in this contest. I'm looking, I think one of the big positives for these young quarterbacks, Zach Wilson only sacked one time on 37 dropbacks. And then Kenny Pickett wasn't sacked at all. So I think that that's optimistic that at least they're staying within the structure of their offense. And they're not having too many negative plays aside from those interceptions. Just curious about the Kenny Pickett stuff. Do you think that Trubisky either played so bad that can never go back to him or that Kenny Pickett looked good enough that we should feel confident that it's, he's going to at least have another chance soon or possibly for the rest of the season? And then was there any reason why George Pickens got going here versus yeah. other games? Yeah. The easy answer for George Pickens is that, uh, Kenny Pickett just gave him a chance, like legit just gave him a chance. It wasn't pinned along the left sideline. A lot of it still was to the left side of the field, but in one-on-one -on -one situations against the cornerbacks that the Jets strut out there, there were acrobatic catches that George Pickens made. Uh, Deontay Johnson was 
a toenail away from a touchdown in the first half with Mitchell Trubisky. That was a great catch in the back of the end zone. And so I understand if you're frustrated that he finished the day with two for 11, but again, it was inches away from another big play. And even Pat Frymuth, like I think Kenny Pickett is more willing to take shots over the middle of the field too. Um, Not the strongest arm, not the biggest dude. His other interception that was near the line of scrimmage, he drifted back in the pocket 15 yards and then threw it for all of his might bounce off his wide receiver's hands and into the, again, a Jets defensive back. So what I don't understand with this though, is if Mitch in your eyes could play so bad in the first two quarters that you get to halftime and you're just going to say, okay, we need a spark. Now it's time for Kenny Pickett. Mike Tomlin should just start the guy from, from the start of this game, you know, had 10 days to groom him as a starting quarterback and instead waited until the game while they were winning it, they could have smashed the Jets in the first half with the way Zach Wilson was playing then. And instead, they lost the game because they waited too long to pivot over to Kenny Pickett, if that makes sense. Yeah. As a college prospect, I always thought that people didn't give Kenny Pickett enough credit for like kind of being a playmaker of some sorts, even though he's not going to be like Justin Herbert stay in the pocket and just throw a laser beam to the sideline. He gets out there and moves. And that's why he had two touchdowns here. But I think that this can be at least a watchable offense. And we'll see if it can get George Pickens going or keep Deontay Johnson afloat i'm hoping it's team picket like it, it can't be trubisky like we it's the same exact stuff as it was with the bears like it's been four games i will also say that it looks like Brees hall continued his slight resurgence over michael carter in this backfield 46 snaps for hall to michael carter's 31 and 17 carries to carter's nine game winning touchdown too and Help. Zach Wilson missed a 90-yard play, basically. It was a running back wheel route from Brees Hall along the right sideline, and Wilson completely underthrew him by 10 yards. Uh, again, I know, and you should be, Jets fans are going to be ecstatic with this comeback victory. See it for four quarters first, and at least for me, speaking to myself for Zach Wilson, but that second half was extremely promising. Okay, we'll move on from that game. Go on over to the Chargers at the Texans. More points here gentlemen and most importantly Austin Eckler who we had been down on for the first three weeks goes 13 carries 60 yards two touchdowns on the ground then six catches 49 yards and a score in the air ah everything's right in the world when Austin Eckler scores three touchdowns the best part were all all of them came from 10 yards out so we didn't really have to worry about the goal line usage here. Now it's like a positive and a negative. Like some of the things where they did get Sony Michelle involved, they still got uh, Joshua Kelly involved, but he looked explosive in this offense. I think is going to be able to hold up. The left tackle stayed in there, held his own, seemed better than Storm Norton did. And Justin Herbert is just going to be too good in general. So lots of check down opportunities here. Mike Williams had a bunch of plays over the middle. Um, and I think it was a positive game for the Chargers who nearly almost charged themselves, but were able to figure it out in that. Yeah, I guess my biggest question, because it was a massive conversation heading into this contest of, well, the Chargers offense has not been great. They lose their premier left tackle. And how was Joe Lombardi going to adjust? Can we learn something from this game? Or is it just the Houston Texans? You know, like, is it that easy and simple of an answer of, like, hey, these were positives. Austin Eckler, Mike Williams, Gerald Everett going five for 61 when one touchdown after we called that. 
to me, it was just Justin Herbert playing excellent. He had lots of hole shots down the sideline over the middle. The Gerald Everett stuff was a backside, just seam touchdown, just using his eyes to get back over there. Gerald Everett did have a drop on third and four, um, but he is being used like a tight end one. Um, Mike Williams, there's some underneath catches early on in the game, got a couple end zone targets, big plays over the middle, like I said. And then going back to Brandon Staley, it was fourth and one. They were up three points. They were on their own 44-yard line with five minutes left in the game. I think most NFL coaches punt the ball there. He goes for it, ends up getting a first down with a little design stuff to Austin Eckler out in the flat. So um, the defense at the end of the game did not hold up. The Even Davis Mills was able to move the ball. There was a huge, huge Damian Pierce run. We'll get to that in a second. So the Chargers as a team looked all right. It was the Texans at the end of the day, but I think ultimately this was just, even with all the chaos around him, Justin Herbert is still so damn good. Even when he has all these injuries around him, he's still going to be able to move the ball. It's quite a choice after what we've seen with Justin Herbert, the injury that he's dealing with, throwing the ball 39 times and running the ball 27 times and, you know, then putting up 27 points in the first half and keeping that up for the entire contest. Okay, let's go ahead, Diggle. It is the Texans, so I do want to take it with a grain of salt. <laughs> for sure. But from what I saw as well, because I onslaughted the Chargers in DFS, so like I watched this game very closely, uh, Herbert was slinging it across the field. It looked like vintage Herbert. Also, I did not see Josh Palmer get injured. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Hayden, but DeAndre Carter operated in two wide sets today. Whoa. Josh Josh Palmer did... He was on the uh, sideline getting his ankle taped up okay. and stuff. He was kind of okay. in and out of the game. So I wouldn't read into that until we have more clarity on the situation. Just going into this game, as a reminder, Keenan Allen had a setback. He was limited, limited, limited. They try to push him, and then he gets set back. So we don't know where he's going to be for next week. But I think Josh Palmer should be in lineups. He did have some type of injury. We'll see how severe it is after the game. Okay. Flip side. Texans. Davis Mills, 26 of 35, two touchdowns, two interceptions. Is that kind of what we get from him? Like yeah. some really nice throws and then some back-breaking turnovers and plays that, you know, it makes us wonder if this is just going to be a one-year experiment for the the Texans going into the season with Davis Mills yeah. as their starting quarterback. I mean, they're 0-3-1. I would be pretty surprised if Davis Mills is the quarterback next year. He seems like a totally fine backup-level player. Uh, the Damian Pierce touchdown, uh, to me, was some of the worst – uh, linebacker play I could possibly imagine just one of them couldn't shed a block the other one ran up a hole that didn't exist and it was an easy Damien Pierce touchdown he always looked explosive to me this was the final the first time he's ever been able to like actually break a tackle and get out in the open space by himself has a great game 131 yards one touchdown Rex Burkhead was involved in passing situations that's why he caught five passes but he did not get a carry. So the fumble issues from last week didn't really carry over here. It was the same exact role for Damian Pierce. He's going to be the guy on the ground. And then Rex Burkhead's going to be playing the passing downs. Brandon cooks had a pretty solid day, seven catches, 57 yards and a touchdown. He also had a defensive passing interference where he would have scored probably a 50 yard touchdown. And then he also had a 22 yard catch called back. So um, he looked good, but even he was a couple plays away from having a much bigger game. And then Davis Mills, probably his best pass of the day. Nico Collins isolated, good move down the field, was able to create separation for a 58 yard touchdown that nearly was, or 58 yard completion. That was nearly a touchdown. So this was like classic Texans. You could have a big week from Damian Pierce at any given week. Brandon cooks is still clearly the, the number one. 
Davis Mills does just enough to keep Brandon Cooks in that wide receiver two, wide receiver three range. And then Nico Collins is better in best ball and unpredictable. Weird question, but how did the Chargers defense look without Joey Bosa? Like, were they able to generate pressure? Um, not really. Dave, Davis Mills was sacked like four times, but Davis Mills always takes some pretty bad sacks here. And Texans offensive line is damn good, you know? Yeah, Larry Mutunzel Larry Mutunzel's an absolute genius. And Green's been really good too. Yeah. So um I think they're fine. Like they it's just the ground game, man. Like that Damian Pierce touched. Talk really to me about that seventy five yarder. I mean, Kenneth Murray ran up a hole that he had no business going to, and then the other linebacker couldn't shed a block, got pushed back about eight yards against a tight end one-on-one, and then their safety missed a tackle, and then he's off and running. So, yeah. All right. John Daigle, you're up next. Let's flip on over to the Cleveland Browns and the Atlanta Falcons. Falcons maybe shockingly win this contest 23-20, to especially when you consider that Nick Chubb had a similar day to what we've seen Nick Chubb all season long, 19 carries 118 yards and a score. So if they absorb 177 rushing yards on the Atlanta Falcons, how do they come back and win it by also more than matching with their own rushing totals of 202 yards on 35 carries. It goes beyond that as well. 400 yards of total offense, 71 plays, three red zone trips, and yet one touchdown, 20 points. They manhandled the Falcons. There were no excuses. Even Kevin Stefanski had to go to the presser afterwards and take the blame for squandering points uh, twice inside the red zone, in particular on the one-yard one line, and did not take the points again in a very close matchup that they were just dominating. Um, instead, ran the ball, did not go well. So, yeah, honestly, it was just a poor – it was poor execution by the Browns all around. You see Amari Cooper, of course, who commanded 36% of the team's targets the past two weeks go into this game. He gets the battle along the bat boundary with A.J. Terrell the entire time. So it's David Njoku pops up, which is really confident. So David Njoku has now put together, uh, after receiving tight end one usage behind the scenes in the first two weeks, that production is now flowering in the last two weeks as well. So at least we're getting that late tight end breakout that we thought we were initially. It was also hammered the ball in the first two drives in particular, had a 20 and 25 yard catch on the first possession and really not only just squandering points, but it does also come down to the Falcons capitalizing on the Browns mistakes, not just in play calling, but in Joku, for example, fumbled. And that became a 13 yard touchdown run for Cordero Patterson to take a 10-0 lead for the Falcons with 120 left in the first quarter. Uh, Patterson's usage was all over the place as I slowly moved to the Falcon side. Um, but we'll talk about that when we discuss their offense. So talk to me about the Falcons because it's almost upside down here, right? Like from mm -hmm. what we've seen from them this season, the most reliable players, obviously Cordero Patterson, but he's even the third leading rusher on this team with nine carries, 38 yards and a score. Meanwhile, we've had very consistent performances from Drake London this season, yet seven targets, two receptions, 17 yards against a defensive secondary that's been torched so far this season. And then Cal Pitts, still just four targets, one reception, and 25 yards. And for Cordero Patterson, I think very clearly injured. Now has just two targets in his last three games. He got one second-half touch in this contest. At one point, Josh, I don't know if you've heard this already, Marcus Mariota throws an interception. He's now turned the ball over in every single game. I, I, we talked about this last week. The benching is coming eventually. Uh, but after they get the ball back post this interception, 
Arthur Smith calls 14 run plays in a row to take the ball out of Mariota's hands. And it worked. He, then, he leans on Tyler Algier and Caleb Huntley. Huntley, wow. who eight of his 10 carries came in the second half as a bruising clock killer in place of Cordero Patterson between the tackles. And he did explode for a touchdown. But overall, this is not great for fantasy. Okay. I- I've thought... Hayden, that Tyler Algier has been extremely average when entering the contest this season in spot duty. But today it's 10 carries for 84 yards. And then Caleb Humpley, as Daigle said, 10 carries for 56 yards in a score. Like, we love CPAT, but if he's he was hurt. broken he was hurt. a little bit. I know, but isn't this one of these cases potentially where, hey, these backups ran well. They have earned, earned more opportunities moving forward. I would be stunned. I think CPAT's look so good that once he gets over this injury, uh, now we're we are talking about an older running back. Who knows how well he's going to adjust here? But uh, he looked good today too. I mean, CPAT had scored a touchdown at 38 yards on nine carries as well. I am looking at the box score right now, and Marcus Mariota had a second percentile completion percentage over expected, second percentile, and they won the game. So, uh. I, I just want to watch this game. I, I don't know if it was Drake London's fault, no, Kyle Pitt's fault, Marcus Mariota's fault. I, hey, I'm going to be watching the damn Falcons. They're two and two. Marcus Mariota's not going to bench any time to the two and two Falcons. Everyone looks up also and sees Kyle Pitts, four targets, now just 22 targets through the first four games. But they see one catch, one his one weekly catch. And uh, it's easily explainable because 32% of Kyle Pitts targets this year have come 20 plus yards downfield. That's why he pops in projections. That's why he's a ceiling player. The issue is the ceiling. It's not consistent since Marcus Mariota is bottom five in the league on, on target rate on throws 20 plus yards downfield. Kyle Pitts is being asked basically to make hall of fame catches every week on little volume. And if he doesn't do that, he's just going to bust every week. So this is the Kyle Pitts story right now. It's boomer bust. It's not consistency for a reason. Yeah, to make your point, Mariota today, 97th percentile, a dot, 13.3 yards downfield. That's what you're going to get in this offense. I think it's probably the right move for the Falcons. You have these or playmakers downfield. Yes, but the consistency is just, these players are just not going to be consistent. Like, But the fact that they're at least moving the ball in general throughout the season, I think you have to chalk up as a win. You weren't expecting consistent play out of Kyle Pitts unless you thought he was going to be like just some record-like breaker. And to be honest with ourselves, like – this was totally unforeseen of this style of football, right? Like almost max protect two man routes down the field. And then we're going to turn Marcus Mariota into one of the top three intended air yards pro temp passers in the NFL. What? Like I mean, that's kind of Tannehilly. I mean, that's kind of like Arthur Smith Tannehilly uh, to an extent, just like play action, heavy protection, throw it downfield. Um, yeah. He just got to play a little bit better. I understand the production may not be consistent for Drake London, but he's the leading target guy in this offense. His floor is what we saw in week one with a 21% target share. The past three games, he's been over 30% of the team's targets in each of those games. Like Drake London is the wide receiver one on this team. Let's jump on over to, I wanted to save this game for later, but I know everyone's going to be jumping on the Sunday night football contest and you want to hear about the Broncos running back situation. So and you don't want to hear about the Cowboys commander. So yes, I agree. <laughs> so, so let's go to the Raiders beating the Denver Broncos 32 to 23, getting their first win of the season. And now the Broncos drop to two and two. This is one of those contests. I watched every single play and I'm not exactly sure how we arrived at this final score because two players on the Broncos played extremely well. Like, this might have been Russell Wilson's, despite what the box score says, 
one of his best performances of the season. He opened 11 of 12 for 149 yards and two touchdowns in the first half. At halftime, it was 19 to 16 Raiders. He finished 17 to 25 for 237 and two scores. He was also this team's leading rusher with 29 yards and a touchdown. Like we got some of those vertical passes to Cortland Sutton. Most importantly, we got it to KJ Hamler down the middle of the field for 55 yards. Jerry Judy, even a touchdown on a three verts on the right side. Jerry Judy out of the slot and boom, he hits him there. However, also on the defensive side of the ball, Patrick Sertan, not going to say locked down Devontae Adams, but it was one of the best matchups you could see one-to-one all season long. Sertan was driving on targets, playing the hands, contesting the catch points, and that was a great competition. Still, Devontae Adams, despite saying that, goes out there and gets nine catches on 13 targets for 101 yards. And maybe the MVP of this contest, as Hayden has been saying all season long for the Las Vegas Raiders, is Josh Frakin Jacobs. 28 carries, 144 yards, and two scores. I want all of you to search out this highlight that he had where he presses the left side of the hole, spins after planting that left foot back inside, makes two people miss at the line of scrimmage, has someone pull a Broncos defender his undershirt as he's running away from everyone and goes out there, I think, for a 43-yard gain after that. Josh Jacobs is playing some high, high level of football right now, despite the questions we have about the Raiders' offense. And he, by far and away, was the best player on the field in this game. All week, you'll see uh, people cite PFFs like elusiveness and yards after contact because of games like this. He's been doing this the entire season. He's had some brutal reps on passing downs, but even today, because some of the other running backs also had some brutal reps, he catches five passes here. But yeah, you're right. Josh Jacobs is running really hard behind not so good of an offensive line here. So this is just a shout out to Josh Jacobs, who um, is playing in contract season and is running right over your face. And now add the volume to that. Since week two, 60 of the team's 66 running back carries. His route participation has increased in every single game this year, leading to this week's season high, a route on 72% of Derek Carr's dropbacks. Basically the pass catching back as well. He's literally a bell cow now. And you see two carries for Zamir White. One of those was basically the final play of the game that he gets a 22-yarder along the sideline that Josh Jacobs was like the de facto fullback and was the eye candy. And then Zamir White has free reign on the left side. It's a one-person backfield. And it's just amazing that there was beat writer speculation and even some national media speculation that like they weren't totally in for Josh Jacobs this season. And it's so clear that he has transcended whatever Josh McDaniel's usage we typically see at the running back spot. Um, we'll get back to some of the Raiders if you have some questions there. But let's focus on the Broncos' backfield because it was wonky in this contest. So Javante Williams converts on a fourth and one with about four minutes left in the half. Um, he goes out for the first time after getting six yards on his first like six carries, basically. My, uh, Melvin Gordon comes in for his first carry of the game, gains nine or gains seven, and then loses a fumble. Basically never to be seen again. And then his, later on. His fourth ahead. of the his, season. I couldn't right. believe though. I had to rewind the broadcast. I was like, he has four fumbles this year. That's crazy. Sorry. Real bad. No, no, no. I, I was going to mention this, but it's a prevailing problem that we have seen from Melvin Gordon since his time, final few years with the Chargers. And most importantly, during his most recent years with the Denver Broncos. Now that leaves us with the questions that we have with Melvin Gordon to then Javante Williams suffering a knee injury. 
being listed as questionable. And no more than three minutes later after that, after he gets out of the blue medical tent, he is instantly downgraded to out. Out. Seen with crutches, exiting the locker room after this contest. The first player you see, I think, after that is Mike Boone. Mike Boone for three carries for 20 yards. They tie in carries with the Broncos trying to come back in this contest. Mike Boone is the one that also gets a reception for nine yards. Uh, it was Javante Williams going to be owning this backfield until that knee injury, Hayden, because he was the better player here. But it leaves us, who knows what the significant is. It sounds based on, again, how short the questionable to outstanding was. Uh, not going to be good news for Javante Williams moving forward. And at least for this week, they play on Thursday Night Football, so Javante oh. will not be out there for that. So it just basically comes down to Melvin Gordon has the profile of somebody that can handle the load. Mike Boone really doesn't, but Melvin Gordon's been playing so bad. I mean, I always see him picking up yards, and then he just fumbles the ball. This is, to me, it's like isolated like, as a fumble issue, but we'll see if they go back to him or Mike Boone. I'm guessing it's going to be a committee, and they have a couple days to figure this out. Because Mike Boone got a pretty decent contract a couple years ago with the general manager coming over from the Minnesota Vikings when Mike Boone was awesome in the preseason and a great athlete every single year and then never got his opportunity in this backfield. Melvin Gordon was the one at times last year to be the leader in carries and opportunities here. Yet every single time, even when it dropped from 70, 30, 80, 20, like it was going to be in this contest, he fumbles that opportunity away, Daigle. So Look, we're we're not tied to our opinions here on the Instant Reaction Show. You have your own waiver content that comes out. But I would almost speculate that Mike Boone should be added above Melvin Gordon at this point. I agree. The issue is, what the hell is this offense? Because we saw it again for three and a half quarters. And then, and only then, did Russell Wilson start moving the ball down the field. So I almost question if anyone can survive anyways outside of Cortland Sutton. This game, I'm looking at it, their success rate was fourth percentile. Fourth percentile, the Denver Broncos against the Raiders. And like I said, that first half from Russ was just about as clean as possible. Um, it didn't help, again, that that fumble by, by Javante Williams was returned for a touchdown. So, like, if you can, you know, subtract six or seven points here from the Raiders, and it's a much closer contest. But this Raiders defense is easily the, one of the worst in the league. Denzel Perryman played a nice first and second quarter, then exited with his own concussion, and that probably prevented some early rushing success that the Broncos had. But there's no real excuse for this. And Russ is kind of playing the same ball, but even Russell Wilson like showed some youth to his game with some of his scrambling ability here. You know, I, I'm not exactly sure, as Daigle's point, I think, is the big picture. Where do the Broncos go from here? Because they don't really have an identity Randy Gregory got injured in this contest too. It's just Patrick Sertan. And even again, when he plays at such a high level, you can't universally prevent the other team from, you know, scoring 30 plus points in this contest. That's tough. It's I don't tough. know what they are. Uh, Matt Collins continued to play on the outside. And then uh, Darren Waller just hasn't clicked, man. Just hasn't clicked. But it's kind of back to the point with Devonta Adams where there's lots of option routes and eyes on him and just waiting and waiting and waiting for him to get open. But that's exactly the usage. Why that's, of why that's what this him. offense is. Every time you yeah. look up, it's literally just Derek Carr pedaling back and waiting for Adams to break left or right. Quick shout out to Derek Carr showed some wheels himself, 40 yards, some key scrambles on second and third downs on longer uh, to go situations to, to convert those. Okay. Um, since I had to talk about that one, 
Hayden, why don't you talk about the... <laughs> for the record, you chose this game for me. I was on a golf course enjoying my time. I get the notification that Josh has selected this game for me. Well, someone has to watch the Panthers this season other than me, and you get to watch the Arizona Cardinals beat the Carolina Panthers 26-16. to I don't even know who to call out here. I mean, in the end, Kyler Murray does get home with 207 yards and two touchdowns and a rushing score. Marquise Brown, 688 and a touchdown. But Hayden, once again, this Cardinals offense cannot get going in the first quarter and basically in the first half. It's just an entire second half team. Yep, 5.9 uh, dot for Kyler Murray here. They had negative uh, EPA. This was just a team that did not look very good. Uh, at one point, Kyler Murray was yelling at Cliff Kingsbury to get the plays uh, going faster. They had to call timeout before a delay a game. Uh, Kyler Murray throws a pick six over the middle. Uh, very few things designed downfield. The one time that they did do it, they put Marquise Brown in the slot on the right side, not the left side. Oh, imagine. Slot fade for, guess what? A touchdown. So they ha they can do it. Uh, I'm very curious to see what's going to happen to this offense once DeAndre comes back because the fear that we had with Rondale Moore came true again. Rondale Moore was schemed up. There was a brutal play, fourth and one, and they – opt to go with the fly sweep to Rondale Moore for negative four yards for a turnover on downs. Both teams started the, this game off with turnover on downs. That kind of sums up how this offense, these offenses were playing. Uh, but for the most part, everything was underneath. There was one deep route for Rondale Moore that drew a target, but for the most part, it was all underneath stuff. So by far Marquise Brown's their best playmaker. Zach Ertz is good enough over the middle to kind of catch and fall down. Uh, he had one uh, yards after the catch played near the sideline finds the end zone, but even for Kyler Murray, everything seems so damn difficult for him and even more difficult for James Conner, who's in a little bit of a rotation more than I was kind of expecting here. So um, it's a win on the road, but this was not like promising. Basically every single thing that Cliff Kingsbury tried to draw up just didn't work in this game, you know? And once again, you get to the second half and you try to put everything in Kyler Murray's shoulders and he climbs out of it for you. I mean, it's it's so rough watching this offense. And maybe the most frustrating part is as soon as Rondell Moore is back, as you alluded to, he's a full-time player. And Greg Dortch, who has been, let's face it, been better than Rondell Moore has ever shown in the league so far in the three games that we've seen from Greg Dortch, just gets instantly put to right pitch and barely played in this contest. Like, I would love to see Rondell Moore have to show something to earn the starting gig. And I don't know what the snap percentages are, but it just felt like Greg Dortch was completely miscast once again as soon as Rondale's back in the lineup. Yeah, he's not going to matter. He becomes the fourth or fifth target on this offense. This offense is moving the ball. Like, Rodney Hudson snapping the ball over his head. Like, everything's just sloppy just in general uh, for this team. I do wonder if Kyler Murray is a buy low just because I think I'm going to like what this offense looks like compared to what it is now. When Marquise Brown perhaps is the vertical slot player. That's when Kyler Murray was at his best when Christian Kirk was a vertical slot player. That might be a better role for Marquise Brown individually. Let DeAndre Hopkins run those hard routes as the X receiver contested catches and get some verticality to this offense. We haven't seen any of it so far. Maybe when DeAndre Hopkins gets back, uh, this offense will look a little bit better. So maybe buy low on Kyler Murray, but right now it's just stuck in the mud still. And to your point, Rondo Moore out-snapped Greg Dortch 65-27 to 27 in this game. Literally came back as the de facto underneath receiver and just returned to the role, moved Dortch to the bench. What is there to say about the Carolina Panthers? Nothing. Can we each should go through like one most 
unremarkable thing about them. You go with yours first, then I'll give mine. Uh, I have two. I have to say them both. First of all, for Baker Mayfield, nine deflected passes this game. He was getting matumboed like all the time. And I would just say for DJ Moore in this offense, a squeaky wheel game is six for 50 without a touchdown. So That's true. The they tried wheel. to get it for him. That's a squeaky wheel right there. Six for 50. And even when they try to create all of this, you know, fun stuff, they were giving Rashard Higgins an end around that then was going to be pitched to DJ Moore that probably would have gone for a touchdown because that side of the field is completely wide open. Rashard Higgins bungles it, drops it on the floor, and then it's a turnover. Um, this offense can't do anything right. And to that note, in the first seven quarters of last week's four games, or four, and then this game's first three, if you eliminate LaVesca Chenault's fluke 60-yard touchdown last week, the Carolina Panthers' defense outscored the offense. Again, the Carolina Panthers' defense has outscored the offense over the last seven quarters, 14 points to 12 points. It's a Baker Mayfield problem. It's a Ben McAdoo problem. It's an offensive line problem. It's a Matt Rule problem. Like there's not just one person, but if I had to put it on one person, Hey, now I put it on Baker Mayfield. Cause he's awful. Yeah. He's, I haven't seen him this inaccurate. Like I've seen questionable decision-making and like, you can't like run a complete offense with him. But to me, he always like was at least able to throw the ball with some accuracy this year. It's all over the place. He seemed like he's having to step into throws extra hard and is just firing balls over their head. And that makes me think that hopefully if there is something that they can take away from this game is late in the game, there was a ton of Christian McCaffrey targets. And guess what happened? They kept moving the ball. Christian McCaffrey at the end ends up mossing a guy for a touchdown. But I'm hoping that they can say, hey, look, all these uh, perimeter throws to the outside keep getting matumboed. We can't throw the ball downfield to DJ Moore. What if we just said, we're going to be the option route team to Christian McCaffrey. Hopefully that's the big takeaway. He would end up being an elite RB1 again because of those late game targets. It goes back to, though, Baker Mayfield being accurate on those targets. Uh, he's 33rd entering the week. He was 33rd in completion rate from a clean pocket. So even when he's not under pressure, it doesn't matter. He's still not completed those early passes. Everyone complains about D.J. Moore's catch rate, but 63% of D.J. Moore's targets entering this week were within nine yards of the line of scrimmage. Baker Mayfield just doesn't hit him. Today, only one of his targets were 20-plus yards downfield, and as you see in the box score, it just didn't matter because you still need a quarterback who can complete the pass. Baker's completely broken. And it doesn't get easier. This is what we said heading into this contest. They face the 49ers, the Rams, and the Buccaneers over the next three games. I wouldn't even say this game, he was under duress. You know, no. like right. he, he took two sacks. It seemed like he was just. This is why I tried to throws. force you to watch it live because it's infuriating. Like Baker's awful. What he might friend. be the worst quarterback in the league right now. If I don't show up to the show next week, everyone will know whose turn it was to watch the Panthers. It's so bad. But at least, like you said, CMC got receiving opportunity when it's been like two receptions and three receptions and been relying on 23 carries to get him home. Like it happened when they were down by 16 points, but you know, nine receptions, 81 yards and a score. So like you said, hopefully they go back to the drawing board and say, oh, this worked in that part. Let's do this more from the start of games. But I don't trust them. They freaking suck. They're not going to make it out of the season. Cowboys, commanders. Speaking of a team not making it out of the season. <laughs> I keep punting some of the good stuff. So hopefully people continue to watch and watch and watch. We'll get to the Eagles and the Jaguars uh, in a moment. Uh, talk to me about this game, Daigle, because I mean, does Cooper rush like 
Cooper Rush, 25 to 10. The Dallas Cowboys win. He goes 15 to 27 for 223 and two scores. Back-to-back really strong games for C.D. Lamb, six for 97 and touchdown here. It is still amazing to me that this is a player they cut before week one, knowing no one would care to put in on waivers for him. It's Cooper Rush. Who cares? And now he's set for life as a career backup quarterback uh, with the Cowboys most likely moving forward. I think it's a combination of Cooper Rush uh, playing out the game plan that is in front of them and also good coaching from McCarthy and good play calling by Kellen Moore, just making life as easy as possible. It's also been a couple easy games, honestly. The commanders never pushed back in this one at any point. Uh, Carson Wentz has now averaged less than five yards per attempt in two consecutive games. The wheels have already fallen completely off for him. For the Cowboys, though, I think the most shocking takeaway is that both Michael Gallup and Dalton Schultz return to the lineup as full-time players. Michael Gallup ran around 85% of dropbacks. Dalton Schultz got in there for a route on 79% of dropbacks. They were just there, like back in the three-wide personnel, like nothing happened at all. That was so shocking to see. CeeDee Lamb still getting fed a high target share and now has a 34.5% target share from Cooper Rush the past three games. So living on volume, although it may be inaccurate volume, but it doesn't matter when you're seeing that percentage of your team's targets. Dominic Foxworth pointed this out and Hey, it's kind of something that we have alluded to, or like a statement I wanted to make where in previous years, Kellen Moore has put like so much on Dak Prescott's plate where he asked him to go from like one to two to three and make every single perfect decision. And there's nothing easy or, or simple. And yet here we are seeing Cooper. I'm not going to say thrive, but look like, more than competent because it feels like they are making things a bit simpler. So when Dak Prescott, who might come back this week against the Los Angeles Rams, um, hopefully they take some of those and implement them here rather than again, putting so much perfection and expecting so much from, from Dak Prescott on a weekly basis. Yeah. I'm excited to watch that. Uh, the, the, I think that the other big takeaway here, it seems like they have a left tackle, you know, like before they, it seemed like we had all these on-off splits because the Cowboys' left tackle situation was kind of always in flux. It seems like they have a little bit of something with him. Cooper Cup or Cooper Rush only has one sack today. So all of a sudden, once Dak Prescott gets back in the lineup, he's going to have Michael Gallup back at full health. Noah Brown has looked better than what anyone expected as the number three for the rest of the season. Dalton Schultz. Um, and then they have some better depth for long-term. So uh, Cowboys look all right right now. And I, w- I would note that Noah Brown got injured today, like a lot of players. So just something to monitor. But again, since Gallup was already out there doing what he does, claiming DPIs downfield, could have had a second touchdown as well. His first touchdown was lit- almost a breakdown as he was running across the back of the end zone. And Cooper Rush found him just in the corner, uh, showing rapport early on. But yeah, Gallup, I expect to probably be used even more in week five. If Brown can't go. Okay. Commanders. Um, Curtis Samuel got his standard seven targets, four receptions for 38 yards. So none of them were in the end zone. So he didn't have a big day. Meanwhile, I thought it was a really nice throw that Carson Wentz had to Jahan Dotson for his touchdown, but that might've been the only positive offensive play the entire day for Washington. Like that's truly it. The one constant is Curtis Samuel now leading Washington in targets for the fourth consecutive week just continues to at least give you volume and a high floor weekly. Jahan Dotson got there, but again, this is his third touchdown on three end zone targets. So like 
since he and Terry McLaurin, we talk about this every week, cannibalize one another at the same area of the field with their 15 depth of target, like Dotson's only getting there because he's scoring touchdowns on lower volume. So that's not a player I'm really chasing at all. McLaurin is still struggling to get there weekly as well behind Samuel. I think the biggest takeaway, though, is that not only was Jonathan Williams concertedly involved on the first drive, uh, it is very clear that this is a three-headed backfield. Antonio Gibson does not play a negative game script, which is a disaster since this team is perpetually in negative game scripts. So actually, like we're losing even more usage, we assume, from Gibson moving forward. Brian Robinson might play next week. Next week. So if you if you can get anything for Antonio Gibson, do any like get any startable flex option, accept it immediately. Yeah, let's rewind. I mean, Antonio Gibson had a nice first couple weeks this season, but this team was most likely going to go into the season with Brian Robinson as the starting running back and had to quickly adjust. I'm so happy that we're going to see Brian Robinson on the field, hopefully this week. All signs indicate that's going to happen. Uh, I thought he was really solid in the preseason at creating on his own and doing and being the reliable runner between the tackles that Antonio Gibson really hasn't proven to be over the last two seasons. I see Damian Harris. I love that. Two Alabama boys. Why not? Philadelphia Eagles, 29. Jacksonville Jaguars, 21. Jaguars opened this game with a 14-0 start. 14-0. Eagles close at 29-7. Let's start from the top, though. Pick six in Jalen Hurts' own territory on second and seven. Hurts tried to force it over to Zach Pascal. It's tipped. Andre Sisco takes it out to the house. Uh, Andre Sisco, who, by the way, Urban Meyer didn't even know who his name was last season. Uh, then that was the Jaguars' ninth forced turnover the season, which already tied last year's mark, just to put to, into context how much better this Jaguars team is under Urban Meyer. They followed that up with an 80-yard touchdown drive that included Trevor Lawrence hitting our favorite, Swagnew, Jamal Agnew, on a fun double stick to the deep corner that really forced the Eagles' safeties to cover so much ground they couldn't get there because a great throw by Trevor Lawrence. And then he followed it with a Jamal Agnew yo-yo motion where he came back in, then motioned back out, and with no one following him, it was a wide-open walk-in score. So I mentioned the turnovers in the favor of the Jaguars to open this because then it completely flipped on over to the Eagles' side of that. Five total Trevor Lawrence turnovers in this contest, including four lost fumbles. Four. Jawan Taylor got abused by Hassan Reddick, who had two sack fumbles of his own. Trevor Lawrence had this weird fourth down try on fourth and one and just mishandled it and couldn't hold it, crossing the first down marker. Like, rain was a huge factor in a lot of ways. No wide receivers were wearing gloves. No one could really hold on to the football. And it really started coming down there in the second quarter. And at that point is where the Eagles ground game started taking over like Miles Sanders goes 27 carries for 134 yards and two scores. Jalen hurts has 16 carries of his own and such a clear fourth down and a important fourth down conversion that he had went down 14 to nothing. That was like a fourth and goal from the six yard line. And he has a quarterback draw for a score. Um, we can get to it, but there are so many missed opportunities in the Jaguars end and all of the big time opportunities that the Eagles had. They're just a better football team at this moment, a more experienced football team at this moment. And they're able to stack up and succeed in those where the Jaguars faltered a little bit. And really they're one of their biggest contests, obviously in competitions this season. What 
immediately stood out to me was not only Miles Sanders in the box score, but even without Boston Scott, we now saw him play over 60% of the snaps in this game for the first time all year. And his share of the team's running back carries and backfield touches overall have increased every single week to season highs this week. And I would imagine if he continues performing like this, the usage just continues to grow where there's no need to really get anyone else heavily involved. Yeah. And even more impressive because Jordan Mailata left really early in this contest with a what looked like a right arm injury. So missing their left tackle, they had number 63 come in because Andre Dillard's been missing this season too. Um, and it felt like they didn't miss a beat. It's it's really cool that the Eagles are able, because they were going to be pass first here because they've been pass first through the first three weeks of the season, but immediately pivot in game or maybe this morning when the weather started pouring saying, okay, let's go back to some of our really fun and cool running concepts because this is what we did for the final eight games of last season, 12 games of last season, and we were, did some of our best work. So it's it's rare to find that in a team that's able to do that from week to week like the Eagles are able to do here. They're multiple. That makes them dangerous. You know, they can win in different in environments. They, they ran the ball 50 times today. So that's why you're looking at your Jaguars box scores. They had 19 carries and only 23 pass attempts. So even though Christian Kirk had a 39% target share, was able to do basically nothing. I'm assuming that Mother Nature had some involvement there. But uh, to me, it was they couldn't get the Eagles off the damn field. You can't win games if you're, they're running it 50 times in your throat. And again, missed opportunities too for the Jaguars to fail to extend some drives. Like Trevor Lawrence had a 40-yard touchdown to Jamal Agnew that he just missed, that he overthrew. Uh, there was a fourth and three that the Jaguars went for it, that Trevor Lawrence escaped out of the pocket, had a completely wide open field, and even Tim Jones, who was wide open down the first down marker, and the ball just fumbles out of Trevor Lawrence's hands and drops to the floor, and so it's a failed conversion. So again, all these fourth downs that the Eagles basically went for, not every single one, but most of them, they hit, and the Jaguars just did not hit theirs. Um, yeah, Christian Kirk actually... Early on, he didn't have his first catch until I think eight minutes left in the fourth quarter. Uh, got locked up by this dude, Josiah Scott, who's the backup to the backup slot corner in Avante Maddox because then they used Chauncey Gardner-Johnson as a deeper safety in this game. And Josiah Scott was actually drafted by the Jacksonville Jaguars, uh, I think back in 2019 or 2020 as a fourth-round pick, was traded to this Eagles team for a six-rounder and then sprouts up here and has a... Has an that, awesome that game. Eagles front office is basically undefeated outside of Jalen Rager. It's crazy. It is pretty crazy. Yeah, I mean, it's just a tough James Robinson game, a tough Travis Etienne game who goes eight for 32. Um, Jamal Agnew literally was the best player on the Jaguars. Our guy. And it's our he, guy. It's the one he, thing that Urban Meyer did right last year. The one he thing. On, he only played 18 snaps in this game, but you wouldn't know it because I swear every time I looked up at the TV, Agnew was doing something. He was on the screen more than Lawrence. And I, I do want to bring this up because, again, the Jaguars were in this game throughout the entire contest. Obviously, they were up 14-0. And then when the Eagles go up 29-21, to they get stopped on fourth down. The Jaguars get the ball down eight two minutes ago. And literally the next play, Jawan Taylor gets run over by Hassan Reddick, who reaches over him, swats the ball out of Trevor Lawrence's hand, and then the game's over. So this is what the Eagles have done over the last few years, right? Is build up this roster so you can have some game-breaking players on defense that are awesome while your offense can sustain, you know, 25 passing attempts and 50 carries and win in all phases. Like, they truly are. Jalen Hurts said it after, like, we're a really good football team. No shit. You're a really good football team right now. So 
Devontae Smith left portions of this contest with a right knee injury. That might be why he's just didn't have as good of a day as A.J. Brown. Um, people should be really thankful that A.J. Brown had five receptions for 95 yards in this game based on the weather. It's that simple. Okay, I know none of us have watched any of these other games live. Let's ask questions as we move along. And the next one is going to be the Tennessee Titans at the Indianapolis Colts, which the Titans improved to 2-2, two and 24-17 two, to 17 over the Colts. Uh, I don't think there's any shocks here on the Titans side with Derrick Henry, 114 yards and a score after what he did last week. Um, I know that Traylon Burks left on a cart in this game. Really, the biggest question that I want to find out this week is Jonathan Taylor, who I think also left this game with a potential high ankle sprain and only closed it with 20 carries for 42 yards. That is extremely significant, not just with the injury, but the lack of efficiency before exiting. The Colts play Thursday night. So pick up Naeem oh. Hines. He's going to be headlining the waiver columns and all that stuff. He will be in the preseason. They used him somewhat as a feature back a little bit. Um, we'll see if that holds up. Uh, I don't even know who their RB three is. I know it was at one point like Philip Lindsay or something like that, but Naeem Hines is going to be in our lives. I believe they have Tyson Williams on their practice squad too. I have to check that. Uh, it'll all be in the waiver wire column at four, com tomorrow afternoon. But more importantly, since Traylon Burks got carted off, we are just assuming he's going to miss the rest of the year. Kyle Phillips will also be in the waiver column. Only played two snaps this game as he continues getting healthy. But remember week one, he led the league and target per route run rate uh, among all players who ran at least 20 routes. So I want to be high on Kyle Phillips moving forward. And then you glossed over Derrick Henry. Derrick Henry has 11 targets now the past oh, two true. weeks. Six and five targets. Like, they're actually getting involved more. I saw Fantasy Life's Dwayne McFarlane also reference that Derrick Henry played in the two-minute drill today. Like, they know because they really only trust Robert Woods right now that they have to have someone else step up, and they're using Derrick Henry the way we've always wanted. Uh, I did want to bring up that since we mentioned that the Titans secondary has been torched over and over and over again, they kind of did get torched again, 27 receptions for 356 yards in this game. However, that was all going to a bunch of random players and Mo Ali Cox for 85 yards, Alec Pierce for 80 yards, Kylan Granson for 62 yards. Even Paris Campbell got there for 43 yards. And that's why Michael Pittman is all the way down there at 31. So like the yards per target stat that we brought up where it's still 9.9 .9 to opposing wide receivers, all of those targets still equaled big production for the passing game for the Colts. However, it was going to a bunch of tight ends and none of them were going in the direction of Michael Pittman. But maybe we can look into that. I know Matt Ryan, again, probably played a really bad game. Like I saw some big frustrations out of him once again. Um, okay, let's go all the way back to Thursday Night Football then. Let's go to the Miami Dolphins and the Cincinnati Bengals. Bengals get back on track 27 to 15 in this contest. Let's first focus on them. Daigle, T. Higgins, 7 for 124 in a score. Jamar Chase, 4 for 81. If you look at like their last 16 games played together in the regular season or whatever, T. Higgins is actually outproducing Jamar Chase. Uh, I'm not saying that to be critical of Jamar Chase. I'm saying that for everyone to recalibrate their opinion of who T. Higgins is and his standing in this offense, because it really is a 1A to 1A. Agree. I, I still think we blow the situation out of proportion because I wonder how much T, T. Higgins would do if it were not for Jamar Chase on the other side. Uh, he's a good player, but Jamar Chase certainly helps alleviate pressure. But at the same time, we know, like we saw last year, there was this month-long stint 
everyone forgets, where the Bengals were still trying to learn what to do since they couldn't throw the ball deep to Jamar Chase. And so towards weeks 10 through 14, I think it was, you look and Jamar Chase has a five and a half depth of target because they kept him closer to the line of scrimmage. That's kind of what's happening right now as they're allowing T. Higgins to roam downfield and they're keeping Jamar Chase closer to the line of scrimmage. Thus, he's delivering a floor, but he's not the wide receiver that a lot of people drafted as the number three wide receiver off the board. So finding his ceiling again is a concern right now. I think it's also worth noting that Tyler Boyd, his two big catches uh, came whenever T Higgins got knocked out of the game. T Higgins did return, but until that point, Boyd was held catchless, I believe. I think your point at the front of Jamar Chase helping T Higgins is true because of that big T Higgins play that we saw for 59 yards. It was almost supposed to at least have one safety to help out on that side, maybe, but they had both safeties on the side of Jamar Chase, literally on that section of the field and T Higgins in a true one-on-one. So they still had two safeties back, but yet it was three defensive backs on the section of Jamar Chase's side. And then T Higgins went deep. I will say Daigle, like if teams still start playing more and more and more too high stuff, then T Higgins has a real path every single week to get there. And I think Jamar Chase, not saying is struggling with this so far, but I think he's adjusting more and more versus what T Higgins is doing. But that's just my amateur opinion. Well, who's struggling right now is Joe Mixon because of how poor this offensive line is at blocking. Mixon right now is the RB16 in fantasy points per game. The issue is he's getting workhorse usage. He has a career high 15% target share. He's pacing for by for a career high in receptions by a mile at season's end. He is the pass catching back. He has nine consecutive games running a route on over half of Joe Burrow's dropbacks. But the rushing efficiency is not coming along because he's getting knocked behind the line of scrimmage basically every single carry. Yeah, I'm going to guess in the fantasy usage model, he's going to be and remain the RB1 overall in fantasy usage. Four targets, 24 carries, the goal line back as well. It's been a weird run for Joe Mixon. Joe Mixon historically has been an efficient rusher. He breaks a lot of tackles and all that stuff. So I don't know if something's up with Joe Mixon, if if it's the offensive line. But right now, for the most part, if you have elite RB usage in an elite offense, you want him. So I'm going to keep calling him a buy low um, he did score a touchdown this last game, so it's not really buying that low. But I, I, I still think I would be ranking him as a top five running back for the rest of the way. Hopefully it's something with the offensive line that they just have to jail since they have new, three new starters on this team. And that is just something you pick up as you go along. It's just kind of shocking that last year he was so much more efficient with worse arguable talents along the offensive line. But I think as a whole, they're figuring out it's not just easy to go out there and get three new starters and think that we've improved the group um it's we we may have done a little bit of hyping up like ted karras and lyle collins too like they were available especially they lyle were available collins. we shouldn't have bolstered them up yeah. yeah they were just on the street whatever okay dolphins um obviously there is the big conversation with tua tunga vailoa glad he seemingly is is doing okay now who the heck knows how much time he is going to miss we are still waiting on the nfl and nflpa in the investigation into everything. Um, what can we see from with like Teddy Bridgewater as quarterback? I know that this is all the way back from, from Thursday night football, but Tyreek Hill got there with 10 for 160. Meanwhile, Jalen Waddle two for for 39. I thought Teddy was kind of cooking there at moments, but then obviously let them down with the, I did tweet way too early. Never tweet during games is what you yep. tell yourself. Uh, and then through that interception, that backbreaking interception um, at the end. 
I don't think anything structurally from this offense changes too much. I think Teddy Bridgewater could do a pretty good Tua Tagovailoa impression. The numbers won't be as good because of how efficient this offense was doing. They were like playing at outlier levels. But I think Teddy Bridgewater could run the offense pretty similarly. And I kind of trust Mike McDaniel to like set them up, even if Teddy like has some deficiencies in certain areas. If he's not hitting the same exact plays that Tua is in practice, to adjust and play into the strengths that Teddy is showing in practice, if that makes sense, Daigle. Tyreek Hill hasn't dipped below a 20% target share on the season yet, either in any game. He continues to be the number one wide receiver in this offense. So I don't think that goes away at all. The real takeaway is that McDaniel continues to lessen on Chase Edmonds as we move along. Maybe Edmonds is the goal line back after two goal line carries in week three. Maybe. I still don't want to say that either. I think he just happened to be in on the situation. But what we've seen is Mostert's route participation grow in every single game, leading to a season-high route on 64% of dropbacks on Thursday night. And also, Mostert has handled 70% of the team's backfield touches in two of his last three games. He is the starting running back. It's not 1A, 1B. It is Raheem Mostert and then maybe Chase Edmonds inside the five, which is still odd considering Chase Edmonds only had six career goal line carries coming into the year. Yeah, Edmonds has been one of the worst running backs in the NFL this year. Like his rushing yards over expected is like negative 60 or something like by far and away the worst in the league at that. It does help them if Tua is out of this contest for Teddy Bridgewater to get the New York Jets in his opening game as as a starter. Um, Okay, next up, let's go to the uh, do we have to do this one? We do Chicago Bears. And the New York Giants, uh, I did not watch this one. I guess my only opinion is, hey, Justin Fields took six sacks, but at least he had 174 passing yards, including a 56-yard deep shot to Darnell Mooney. He had 23 yarders to Trevon Wesco. Khalil Herbert uh, was able to step in here for, again, the 20 opportunities that we saw and hoped that he got. And Justin Fields, again, had seven carries for 52 yards. So maybe he is progressing a little bit with responsibilities here because – through four weeks, it certainly has felt like that something is open. I don't trust myself to hit it. Um, but again, that completion percentage is just at 50% here. 22 passes is an improvement, I guess. There's that. Six sacks. I, I can't say anything about, about his performance here because I, I I did not watch it. Um, meanwhile, on the Giants, I mean, Saquon's inevitable. 31 carries, 146 yards, zero touchdowns on the ground, another 16 yards in the air. Uh, and they're trotting out as our leading receivers in this game and putting up 20 points and improving to three and one, the giants, Daniel Bellinger, Tanner Hudson, Darius Slayton. And then Richie James goes one for nine, 82 receiving yards in totality here. And they are three and one. This is a pretty damn fine coaching job. You definitely, know? definitely good coaching. They got Tyra Taylor in there. They both uh, leave injured. Um, we'll see what their statuses are for the next week, but I mean, to me, Saquon, definitely top five overall player rest of the season. I'm. This is the opportunity for Kadarius Tony. He was not didn't play this week. Hopefully he comes back next week because Richie James didn't even play that much this week. You know, it was a bunch of players that we weren't even projecting to be uh, playing played. So, I mean, hold on to him for one more week. I promise. Khalil Herbert still in there. 20 of the team's 26 running back carries as well. This is a run-heavy team, both in negative and and positive game script. That's what they want to do. Uh, Saquon, though, those 31 carries you mentioned are actually his career high. 27 was his previous high. 
So weren't there series and, and portions of this game where they literally didn't have a quarterback? Like Saquon was taking quarterback yeah. snaps? Yes. Yeah, they were using Daniel Jones as the, a wide receiver. They had him in so he can call the plays, and then Saquon would be Wildcat. So, yeah. They win. They beat the Bears. It's uh, easy to, to, be to talk you, about because there's only one player. Yeah, and to be honest with you, it's pretty cool that Brian Dayball has his team at 3-1. and one. Like, they are not fun other than Saquon because they have no one offensively. Yet, he is able to change, and I know Mac, Mike Cass is calling plays, but change even week to week at times, series to series at times, depending on who is available. And they're still playing winning football. Yes, it's the Bears. The Bears are also 2-1 and one heading into this contest and had beaten better teams, you know? Crazy. Football's wild. Okay, two more games, then we're going to get out of here. Minnesota Vikings at New Orleans Saints. Uh, Dago, I got to be honest with you. Hayden and I didn't get to watch this game at all because we were doing a show this morning. Did you get to tune in with the Minnesota Vikings, 28-25, to 25, winning in this contest? Dalvin Cook off injury, 20 carries, 76 yards. And most importantly, whatever usage you can impart in us with Justin Jefferson, 13 targets, 10 receptions, 147 yards, roasting Marshawn Lattimore. Adam Thielen also tweaked his ankle at one point. We'll monitor it moving forward. But yeah, just the target share you come to expect from Justin Jefferson. Basically a two-man show here. Kirk Cousins didn't even have his best game. Um, the Saints kept themselves in this one throughout, basically via defense and Chris Olave. Uh, uh, that's probably the best answer. Uh, Taysom Hill involved like we expected. They pulled out the kitchen sink for this one, knowing that Kamara and Michael Thomas were both out. What do you do? I was actually shocked to see Alave record accurate targets and still get hammered targets um, over Jarvis Landry. I thought that maybe Alave with the air yards, everyone continue citing, it wouldn't have mattered, but they actually changed Alave's the way he plays. And he did get a few accurate deep targets too, but they moved him for more shallow crossing routes as well. So that was very, very confident in him moving forward. That was good to see. This is it was like the same usage. Josh made a good point, uh, and I think it was maybe Matt Harmon talking about how Darnell Mooney with a Andy Dalton was over the middle, lower a dot, and that's just because that's how Andy Dalton plays versus Jameis Winston versus Justin Fields, and that's why those evened out. Jarvis Landry playing through an ankle injury too, so that was certainly helping uh, a lot. Of it. I know that they lost, but could an argument be made that Andy Dalton might be better for this team in general? where he goes 22 of 20 or excuse me, 20 of 28 for 236 and a score because Jameis has like objectively been bad this year. You know, it's fun. We like him because he's launching these passes down the field, but from series to series, you're not exactly sure what you're getting. And maybe this team might know what they're getting from Andy Dalton drive to drive. Maybe. Yeah. I'm not sure. I want to watch this game. Taysom Hill tied in 15 in points per game. Patriots at Packers to close this one. Uh, Brian Hoyer starts this game for the New England Patriots. He does not finish this game after going five of six for 37 yards. I believe he also exited with a head injury. Uh, Bailey Zappi comes in 10 of 15, 99 yards and a score. Uh, Ramondre Stevenson, 14 carries, 66 yards. Damian Harris, the most disrespected running back in the NFL, 18 carries, 86 yards and a score. But maybe most importantly for the Green Bay Packers, Aaron Rodgers attempts 35 passes, two touchdowns, 251 yards. Al Lazard takes over as his team's number one wide receiver with six receptions, 116 yards. And Romeo Dobbs, five for 47 on your sheet for a score and had another one fall out of his hands that would have been a deep, deep shot of, I think, about 
39 or 45 yards. On third down to put the Packers ahead, Rodgers went for the jugular and got him. Uh, Dobbs just came down on the ball, on the ground, thus was not a touchdown. So while Christian Watson was back in this game and Christian Watson had a rushing score and was a key kind of part of this because he was the, the jet action that we've seen Aaron Jones run in the past. And now with him keeping that role and scoring a touchdown off of it, teams will have to be honest with it and, and responsible with it moving forward. Um, it's pretty clear, though, Daigle, Al Lazard, Romeo Dobbs, both at the very least flex to wide receiver three options moving forward. Dobbs stayed in on two wide sets, ran just one fewer route than Lazard. They didn't budge him at all for Christian Watson, which was what my concern coming into the week was. Christian Watson, only seven routes, and as you said, a nifty little red zone carry, so they can find ways to use his athleticism for sure moving forward, but it won't be as a wide receiver because this is Dobbs and Lazard's show. I think he's going to be kind of like used like Chase Claypool, like not the like exciting Chase Claypool, kind of like end sweep, maybe get him on a deep pass, but outside of that, volume is not going to be there. Okay, we'll get out of here. We'll watch those games that we did not get to later on this week. Be sure to tune in for Hayden Sosa, waiver 15-minute show dropping tomorrow evening. John Daigle, Betsperts, 4 for 4, his podcast and his in-depth waiver content as well. Daigle, pitch all your stuff before we get out of here. 4for4.com. I think you can still use the promo code Daigle10. I don't know. DM sure you can probably... We could probably make it work. 44.com, the waiver wire column will be out as it is every Monday afternoon. I will sift through all the injuries and replacements there. Yet again, it's going to be a long night, gentlemen. Yes, it is. Uh, and go and check out Daigle's podcast. That is linked in the description down below. And most importantly, we will see you for stats versus film on Tuesday because there is a lot of performances and hidden things that we missed to touch on. Then. Okay. For Hayden, for Daigle, I'm Josh. We will. Talk to y'all soon.